0: All right, the message. Often if we're honest, we don't really share our faith because we don't feel equipped. There have been many times when I was younger that I was put in situations where I didn't feel equipped. And the scary part was the other person knew that I was a believer and they went out of their way to try to goat me into a conversation. Ever been there? And they wanted to have the talk, not for the purposes of having the talk, but they wanted to have the argument talk. And I didn't feel prepared to have that conversation. Until I got a little older, I learned this line, I don't want to argue with you. And I found that that really diffused their argument. And they'd say, well, I want to talk to you about this. I'd say, well, we can talk, but I don't want to argue with you. So when you want to talk with me, we can talk, but I don't want to argue with you. And that changed the ground. But I still didn't feel equipped. We don't often feel qualified to share. How many ever felt that way? Didn't feel qualified. Qualified maybe because your lifestyle wasn't up to like the 100% the way you thought it should be. How many ever felt that way? This is an interactive message. If I only see three hands going up, I'm making you preach. It'll look a little weird with more of the view up here than down there. You know, how many of you ever felt that way? I know that I have. There were times that I felt 100% that way. And even if, even if that we did see that our lives somehow, you know, were in that window of like we, we understood things, we could share things. We lived in a way that disqualified us from sharing the message. How many of you have ever felt that way? You know, you were living at a, at a time when maybe you knew the word, you knew probably too much of the word, but you were living doing your own thing. Yeah, I'm noticing the honesty meter drops with every question here. Okay, all right. I'm not calling you an untruth teller, but I am. Um, The truth is less about us and more about the message, but we do have a part to play. And I've found that the more we share the truth, the more the truth works in our lives. You know, when you're sharing the truth, you're cognizant about how you're living the truth. If you're not sharing the truth, and nobody around you knows that you're a believer, the stakes are fairly low for you. Listen, I've seen social media pages where you wouldn't even have a clue that they're believers. Come on. Amen or ouch, it is what it is. You know, I mean, seriously. Seriously. If I lined it up with atheist A and atheist B, and then, you know, supposed Christian C, you wouldn't notice the difference. Language is the same, the actions are the same, the places they go are the same, everything's the same. But the Bible talks about certain things that should be different, right? We should be different. There should be a noticeable, tangible difference in how we live our lives, there should be a living difference. You, we could sit here all day and talk about what those are, but we have to be careful not to cross over into the line of what I would call legalism, where we try to put people in a box and make them all the same, because there is, there is that tendency, right? Like when I was a kid, it was, you didn't drink, you didn't smoke, you didn't go to the movie theater, you didn't dance. If you didn't do those things, then you were definitely going to heaven. Like that was, you, you were in the door. If you slipped up, you might be back. If you slipped up on one, you could be backslidden. If you slipped up on two, you were backslidden. If you slipped up on three, you weren't hanging out with any of the kids in the youth group. You slipped up on four, and you couldn't hang out with the pastor's kid. That was just the way it was. Now, I'm using humor, but it's, there's some truth to what I'm saying. That's how we measured. Now, that's not biblical at all but it is how we measured. Because if we were to use the Bible and go a little further, (laughs) you know I'm gonna do it, right? Okay, it talks about being gluttonous. That means eating way too much. My mother actually said to me once, no preacher will ever preach a message on gluttony because no one will ever come back. So I did the next week. Right? Gossip, right? We will very often separate sins into tears of what's worse than others. But in God's economy, they are all the same. And so at the end of the day, we have to understand that when we talk about the message in its purest form. See, the truth is, it's less about us and more about the message, but we play a part. The ultimate truth is, the Holy Spirit is what matters in bringing the whole equation together. You see, it's the Holy Spirit sent from God who brings us, who reconciles us back to God himself, who infuses us with power to be witnesses for the kingdom. You and I don't bring anything to the table, but we show up. Oh, well, that's, that's not right, Pastor. I mean, I bring so much to the table. Not really. Do you, do you innately have the power to lay hands on the sick and heal them yourself? No. Do you have the power to save somebody's soul? No, we are vessels to be filled and poured out, filled and poured out, filled and poured out. That's what we're here to do. And if we are not allowing ourselves to be filled with the message and poured out, what are we doing? It used to be, and how many remember this, The back wall of our church, and most churches would say this, you are now entering the mission field. I remember those signs used to be in churches. Raise your hand high for those who haven't seen it. It should now be underneath your bottom, a sign that says you're now sitting in the mission field. The reality is now our churches are filled with people who are seeking the truth. And I'm aware of that. And so when I'm preaching, I don't go out of my I don't want to make people feel intellectually or spiritually insulted in their faith journey to find Christ. Because friends, this is their bold move to come. And we have to understand that. However, at the same time, it's become a juggling act almost because we want to allow and we will allow the Spirit to do what He needs to do because He's a better teacher than I'll ever be anyway at the end of the day. So I laid the foundation. Here we go. We're going to get into this real fast. Let's peel back the lies together. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. Now we need to understand something about the Word of God. It's not something that's negotiable. Can we say that up front? It's not negotiable. All right. I wouldn't say all. All scripture is God breathed. And that choice of wording is important because it denotes that it's alive. It's alive. All scripture is God breathed and is useful. For teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped in every good work. So it always begins with the Word of God. It is intentionally purposed, and we're going to break it down, and we're going to walk through them, because certain components of this verse have been completely booted out of the church. We don't want to hear them because it means we got to change. Now, I'll be honest with you. I remember a time when I read a devotional, not a devotional, a testimonial about a famous guy. And he was extremely well known. And he was suicidal through sin that he was dealing with secretly and hiding in his life. And he was going to crash his plane into the ground. Matter of fact, he had pointed his plane to the ground. And the only reason he didn't was because the crew he had on his plane begged him not to. And when he got home, a janitor in their facility said, I need to pray for you. The guy stuttered. He wasn't well-educated, but he talked to God. Now, in the world we live in today, we know a guy who runs a mega ministry isn't going to give three seconds of his day to a guy who's pushing, you know, a mop in a bucket. Let's be real. That's not going to happen. Matter of fact, you probably wouldn't even see him because the guy would probably come in after he's gone home. But they had this encounter. And he said, the Holy Spirit told me I need to pray for you. Oh, boy. That's a big risk. That's, a, that's like a job risk right there. And he begins to speak to him about his life and then he begins to essentially call him out on everything that was going on in his life. Now, you and I both know that this man didn't know everything about his life. Who told him? Who revealed it to him? The Spirit of God did. And he began to pray over this man, this preacher. And he was delivered of everything that was going on in his life. And God began to restore him. And he became a whole other kind of minister. I mean, his preaching was like just a torrid fire after that. I mean, people were just, wow, what happened to this guy? And he finally started to share his story and his own group of people, his own ministry group wanted him out because they didn't believe in those things. They weren't concerned that he was empowered by the spirit or that his life was transformed or that he didn't want to crash a plane anymore. They were worried about his doctrine that lined up with the Bible, the message. So when we look at this verse, there are things in here that people will not, do not want to tolerate. And ask yourself the question, and only you can, which ones you have the hardest time receiving. Because when I went through this, I asked myself, okay, well, yeah, I'm about a five out of 10 on that one, a six out of 10 on that one. I'm like a zero on that one. You know, I kind of went through it. And I recognize, man, there's some work I got to do here. So the first one, so it always begins with the word of God. It is intentionally purposed for teaching us how to walk and live and know God. So the teaching component is to teach us how to live and walk and know God. And if we're not in the book, if we're not reading the book, then we're not interested in being taught. If the only source is what you're getting, get ready for it, on a podcast or on Sunday morning, that isn't good enough. It's not. Now, don't get me wrong, it's better than nothing, but you need to get into this for yourself. You've got to begin to get into the book because God will speak to you in an audience of one. And he will teach you. Secondly, this is, a, this is a toughie, rebuking. It's a strong word, right? Telling us how we erred and damaged ourselves and possibly others in our relationship as well as our relationship with God himself. So we understand that the scriptures are there to rebuke. In the modern vernacular, it's there to say, Listen! You're out of line. Now we live probably next to Sodom and Gomorrah in the most wicked age that has ever walked the face of the earth. Pastor, are you calling us wicked? I said wicked generation. And I didn't say wicked church. You're all great people. Don't be waiting for me in the parking lot. All right? Just, I don't want to get beaten up. But we don't like to be told. And when we are told to a, to, a, to a fault, all of us have an answer. How many of you have caught yourself doing this? Someone says something to you, it's a correction, and you know it's true, and then you follow it up with, that's true, but... I'll raise my hand. You know what that is? Not accepting the rebuke. Just accept it. If it's true, just say, you know what? That's true. I gotta really digest that one, but it's true. Now, if it's not true, don't receive it. Don't sit there and go, oh yeah, that's true. It's not true. It's not. I've had people speak words over my life that are not true. I don't know if they think it's really cool to like get a spiritual ooh over the pastor or what, but I've had people say things to me and I'm looking right in the eye and said, that's not true. That's not accurate. Oh, no, it is. No, it's not. And I'm telling you right now, you better be careful because you're playing with spiritual things now. That's out of line. It doesn't line up with the word what you just said. You know, when I was a young man, I had people telling me I was going to do A, B, C, D, E, F, G. Remember I talked about this last week? And you should never, ever act on a word about the destiny of your life unless God has told you first. I mean, according to people growing up, I should be a missionary, pastor, an evangelist, um, a prophet, and an astronaut all at the same time. Maybe I could be all of them if I was just an astronaut. I don't know. But I'm just saying... You can't let people guide the call of God. He guides the call of God. Correcting. Now, you might think that sounds the same as rebuking. Rebuking is a a complete turning around. Now, correcting is just like it sounds. To redirect us from being off course to a place of following the plan he made for us once again. This often means telling us that the action or the thought pattern is wrong. Maybe somebody comes to you and they have been holding on to a verse and unfortunately the verse they're holding on to is out of context and it's wrong and it's causing havoc in their life. And you being the more mature believer, sit them down in love and say, listen, let me show you three or four verses before that, three or four verses after that. And let me just walk you through what it really means that could save them years of pain. So much pain could be saved if someone would just teach and correct in that situation. Training in righteousness. This one you don't even hear anything about. This is the word is designed to train us to live in right position with God. To live in right position with God. Righteousness is an actual position. It means that we are righteously positioned with God so that we are under his covering and protection. How many of you want to be under God's covering and protection? I want to be under his covering and protection. So it's our job to train others to do the same. How do we get out from under God's righteousness and protection? By doing our own thing. So if you see a brother or a sister doing their own thing and you know them and you have a relationship with them and you've built up trust with them and you love them, go to them and say, out of love and out of care, I just want to tell you that I'm worried about you. You're living outside of God's protection for you. I'm not seeing you grow. I'm concerned. Can you tell me why you change direction in your life so quickly? And believe me, it's obvious when they do it. There's usually a very sharp course correction that happens. And usually, here we go again, the reason they do it, probably I would say in my experience, well over 70% of the time is they got offended. Something offended them. Listen, in the world we live in today, people get offended over everything. They didn't like my picture on Facebook. (laughs) They missed my birthday on Facebook. You know what I'm saying is the truth. As soon as we introduced that social stream into our lives and people lost the ability to actually open their mouth, pick up the phone, call and talk to somebody, we became hypersensitive people. And I admit that happened to me too for a while. Now I just kind of check in, you know, randomly and throw things on when I need to because I don't want that to rule my life. We have to understand offense separates us in relationship. There's no way around it. And the only way back through it is to deal with it. There's no way around it. You got to deal with it. Now, why are all of those keys in that verse there? So that we will not live a life for God ineffectively. How many of you would like to live an effective life for God? I mean, I don't know about you, but if the average life expectancy of a person, you know, women, I think we've caught up to you now is around 77 years of age. Don't worry, if you're around that number, you're, there's no lightning in here or anything, okay? But, You know, we're praying for a long life for you, all right? But, you know, if that is the average life expectancy, don't you want to live an effective life for God? I mean, I don't know. I hit 51. I don't even know how that happened. Some of you are going, well, it happened one day at a time. Don't say that, okay? All right? Because I just don't know how I got here. I I remember, like, being a kid like it was yesterday. How many of you are with me? Now I've got kids. And they make me feel old. And I want to go to bed at 7 o'clock. You know? Or I just do. I just fall asleep sitting up. How many of you had that happen? Isn't that a, that's horrible, isn't it? And you're like, you didn't even know how it happened? You're sitting there, you're awake, and then you're not. Yeah. it's like you didn't plan it, you know? Like they could have done something to you. Uh-huh. Mm. I have great kids. They haven't done anything to me, thankfully. My part in this whole thing, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, in this verse we heard already earlier, is this. Therefore, my part in this whole context of the message is this. Therefore, I do not run like someone aim running aimlessly. Now, I've tried yet to illustrate what this looks like, but in essence, it's someone running left and right and in circles forwards and backwards with really no sense of direction. They just don't know where they're going. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. Now, this one I have seen. I've seen guys that were basically dealing with brain trauma. They have been hit so hard that they actually thought they were hitting someone and they were hitting the air. They were just swinging wildly at nothing. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. This is our part. This is my part. We can be aimless, goalless, we must not run until we have a purposed goal. And the only way you get that is to have an active relationship with God. Now, do I get out of bed every day? I know this may, I'm gonna give you a glimpse into the life of a pastor. It's horrifying. But, you know, I don't get out of bed every day and hear the audible voice telling me now steer the ship three degrees to the right. It's not how it works. I get out of bed trusting this is how I find the will of God and this is how I teach it. Find the will of God for yourself in your relationship with him today. Positionally put yourself there. And as you do that, he will put things around you in your life where they need to be as they should be, and as you move forward piece by piece, things begin to fall together. Because there is no way you or I have the ability on our own to put all those pieces together. There are too many moving pieces to bring it together. When you begin to see in heaven one day, when he peels it back, How many moving pieces came together just for one miracle to happen? It will absolutely blow your mind away what God did, how he made that happen. So we can live an aimless life, a goalless life, but we should be living with a purpose goal. You might want to think about a few questions. What matters to me most? If you're a parent right now, it's probably your kids but could I suggest something that should matter more? And that is, what is God's plan for my family? What's God's plan for my family? Because if your kids matter most, you'll probably jump in and interfere with what God's trying to do. Because if you say, for example, had a child that was like the prodigal son, a little bit rebellious, you may interrupt that flow of what God's trying to break in your child. But if you put God first and you say, Father, I trust you with what you're doing with my child, you would walk in tandem with God through that time. And let God work in your child's life and he will bring them back probably sooner and healthier. I've seen both play out in real time. I know some are going, well, you just wait. You got kids of your own. I I can hear it. I can already hear it. I'm not saying that I have it perfect, folks. I'm just giving you a thought. What are you passionate about? I've asked this before. What makes your heart beat for the kingdom of God? Like what would be like a 10 out of 10 for you? What gets you going? Well, nothing. Well, then go back to the question I talked about a few minutes ago. Are you dealing with the fence in an area? Did you get hurt maybe somewhere else? Did you get hurt here? And if you got hurt here, I apologize if I didn't see you and say hi. That's happened to me before. Um, you know, it's happened. It happens, life happens. I had somebody really, honestly, they left a church I was pastoring because they said hi and I didn't see them. It's true, and they told, they didn't just tell one person, they told like everybody. What they didn't know is that I'm partially deaf in one ear. So I didn't hear it. Now, in honest terms, if that's all it took to set them off, we know they wouldn't have lasted much longer anyway, but it's beside the point. Nor can I fight like a boxer that is just wasting his punches, beating the air. I don't know. How many of you ever hit a hit a punching bag before? Okay. And how many would say you could hit a punching bag for five minutes straight without stopping? Yeah, I saw the hands quickly go down. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we, we got the boys got one, and I was like launching these bombs into this thing, you know. And it was moving, like the bag was moving across the room, so in my head I'm like, bam. Bam! And I'm like, yeah, that hurt actually. I'm like, uh. I'm thinking to myself, dad still got it. Because I'm like, I moved the whole thing, the frame, the sled, everything, until it was smashing into my furnace. I felt powerful. Until I realized I was literally only at about 30 seconds. And my heart rate was like 170. I'm out of shape, is what that was. Now, some people who train and they do this all the time, they can go for a long time, but it takes so much oxygen to do that. And so that's why they discipline themselves when they throw their punches, that not one punch is wasted. And as a believer, when we use the word of God, we need to train ourselves so that when we use the message, it's a punch that's not wasted. It counts for something. It's life changing. You may get literally somebody at school, a friend, a neighbor might come to you with one question, and you've got literally this is what they say anyway. I don't know if you believe in stats, but if a neighbor comes to you with a question about God, they say you've got one shot and you've got one response. That's a small window. So we got to know how to throw the right punch. That's a toughie. So if we stand there and go, uh, uh, can you just stand here for a minute? I'm going to the house. I'm going to call, dial a pastor, ring, Pastor Dan. What are you doing? Oh, you're hang gliding. Okay. All right. Um, without a parachute, excellent. My neighbor, um, they wanna know about Jesus, so can you answer these questions for me? I mean, I know I'm being, again, silly to a degree, but trust me that this has happened to me. I've had people call me and ask me this in the middle of a situation when if they just simply were reading their Bible every night before they went to bed, they could have answered the question themselves. And they didn't ask me, they asked them. Why? Because they trusted them. They had a relationship with them. So, something to be said for that. Can you say amen? I hit the pulpit so bad, it spun my notes right back up to the top. (laughs) All right. No, our part is to do the discipline part to ourselves, to control our body, to take control of our actions, to take control of the tongue. It is small but mighty and causes a lot of trouble. How many of you, in all honesty, confess, just just do it now. You couldn't even believe it came out. You didn't even know your mouth was open and it came out. Like it just happened. And then you find yourself going, where'd that come from? Well, out of the heart, the, you know, <laughs> speaks, you know? We just sometimes let her fly, it just comes out. And so what we fill ourselves with is going to pour out. And if we continue to fill ourselves with the goodness and the love of God, the message, the message will come out. It just will. And I really believe now, especially now, when the world seems at its angriest and at its most so incredibly darkest, it's looking for light. It's looking for truth. And whether it admits it or not, it's looking for the Word of God. But not just in the book, it's looking for it living walking right in front of them. They want to know if it's real. Because you see, otherwise, you end up with a situation like I talked about a few weeks ago in Canada, where they can pass a law, and they call this book a myth. And it's now an actual law that the Bible is considered a myth. Let that sink in. You may not know this. There are more original copies in the original text of the Bible, over 10,000, in fact, than there is of any other book in the history of mankind, by by well over 8,000. And they call it a myth. And they're able to get away with it. Wow. And as I've said, Make no mistake, not too long, that push will come here. The Spirit, what matters? As I'm going to wrap up the bus here, like I promised. First Corinthians 2, And so it was with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you, I did nothing with eloquence or human wisdom, as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. This is Paul describing himself. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. So in other words, he was saying, I checked my attitude at the door. I love that. He's like, I just put aside all of my accomplishments. I left them at the door. Now, Paul was brilliant. He In, in, in scholastics, he had the highest degree you could get. He was as smart as you could possibly be. If they wanted to have an intellectual Bible conversation, he could have twisted their minds around into the dust. But he chose to know nothing except Jesus Christ and him crucified. In other words, I'm let my life fall to the side and it's all about Jesus. I came to you in weakness and great fear and trembling. Well, you might say, what was he afraid of? Let me ask you a question. If I said this afternoon, you and me, we're gonna go downtown somewhere. We're just gonna walk around and talk to people about Jesus. How many of you have fear and trembling now? Just five of us. The rest of you are amazing. Let's do it then. I mean, seriously, it's a it's a very nervous thing to do. I ran a street ministry in a downtown church. It, we had to pray for an hour or I couldn't have done it. We met and prayed for an hour. We broke up in teams and I said, let's go. Because if we didn't do that, I wasn't making it. And I had a friend named Big Dan. He was six, I don't know, four or five. And people didn't say no to him. He'd say, hey, I'd like to talk to you for a minute about Jesus. And they'd swear at him and say no. And he'd say, yeah, come here anyway. Nobody ever said no to him. Always wondered why. Might have had to do with that 6'4", 275 thing. But he would just, he'd witness to punkers and these tough, tough street kids and they'd be standing there crying. I don't know if it was because he was 6'4", 275, but he had a heart for that. Like he was amazing at that. I was terrified of that. I did it. Paul, I had to get like alone with God and get through my fear. Anybody out there with me? You'd have to get through your fear. Uh-huh. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words. He said, but with demonstration of the Spirit's power, capital S, Holy Spirit's power. You see, when we preach the word... And you also, if you remember, Paul is preaching here to a Gentile crowd. Gentile means non-Jewish. He was the first one to take that message outside. No, No, sorry, Jesus talked to people outside, but that was his main mission, to take it to the world. And so as he takes this word out, as he's taking it out, he recognizes that there needs to be the demonstration of the power of the Holy Spirit. You might say, well, wouldn't it be the opposite? No. Because the world, people in the world, they are under the bondage of darkness. And the only thing that can defeat the bondage of darkness is the power of the Holy Spirit. So that your faith might not rest on human wisdom. There's the next reason. You don't want anyone to say later, oh, well, He's got a good street ministry or he's a good preacher because he's really smart. He's really accomplished. I've heard that in ministry o- over the years about churches and pastors. Really, it makes me it makes me nauseous. It's not about how smart the pastor is. It's not about how well he does a three-point sermon. I mean, sure, it's good that he does his work and his diligence and all that. God uses all that. It's about... The ability to let the anointing of the Spirit of God rest on your life. Listen, if you hear nothing else I say, cherish the anointing. The touch of God. Cherish that. It matters. So that your faith might not rest with human wisdom, but on God's power. Paul is being completely honest. He wasn't coming there to give a speech. He was coming to bring the power of God. He came recognizing that nothing was set in stone. He was coming to preach the cross. His preaching wasn't designed to be persuasive, but demonstrate the power of God. So in a few verses, we move from a man to it all depends on the Holy Spirit. Why? And you've heard me say this a thousand times because we've made this mistake in America. We went all the way from depending on the Holy Spirit to depending all on man. And we've paid for it dearly. And now what are you seeing? There are conferences all over where leaders are now saying, listen, we got to move back and we got to move back fast. We've got to move back fast. Because the Spirit of God needs to, it's the only thing that's going to fix what's happening. How many know revival is the only thing that's going to fix America? It's the only thing. I'm sorry, but it's the truth. Some put their hope in all kinds of different things, but at the end of the day, that is it. We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. Do you get where he's going? He's saying, we're not talking here about man's wisdom at all. He's eliminating it one at a time. No, we declare God's wisdom, a mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Woo! They didn't get it. They were blinded to it. Because they were pursuing man's intellectual wisdom from the word. And it blinded them to the power of what it was really about. However, as I am written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him, these are the things God has revealed to us by his Spirit, capital S, we have Pastor Nate make his way back as I just read the last couple of verses here. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things in God. There's nothing we can hide in our lives. I mean, you know that's true. We can't. For who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. What we have received is not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God. So that we may understand what God has freely given us, that this is what we speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in words taught by the spirit, explaining spiritual realities with spiritually taught words. What does that whole section mean? There's a dividing line between spiritual truth and man's words. And unless the Spirit reveals this book, you will never make heads or tails of it. How many of you remember when Jesus came into your heart and you read this book, and all of a sudden it came alive to you? I remember reading it before I became a believer, and I... I thought, man, I got got it, I figured it out. But when I became a believer, every page just came alive. My heart would just burn with a fire for what was inside. You know, that hasn't changed from having a bad day or a down day, discouraging day. Ever have those? I don't even have to sit down and read 20 pages or 30 pages. I can sit there sometimes in just the first verse that comes off the page that I'm reading is all I need to just kind of focus on and meditate on. And it feeds and soaks in me all day. That's the God we serve. But the person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from God from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness. Can you say amen to that? The world thinks we're crazy and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through, capital S means Holy Spirit. The Spirit, the person with the Spirit makes judgments about all things, but such a person is not subject to merely human judgments. For who has known the mind of the Lord? so as to instruct him. But we have the mind of Christ. How important is that? It means this. When Jesus comes into your life and the Spirit of God begins to work and you get filled with the Holy Spirit, you get a rewiring and you get a whole new mind. And you think differently. What used to be a dead end is now a beginning. What used to be a hard no all of a sudden is the beginning of an opportunity. What was an impossibility, what was completely an impossibility, what could not happen, is now an opportunity for Jesus to do something through you. It's just a whole new way of looking at things. The word of God is breathed by God. Man has no part in that. We have a part to play. We must discipline our lives to line up with the word, the message, so that we can be an example, but also not a life that is disqualified after preaching to others. We can't get tripped up. If you fall, get up. Teen Challenge represents this in every every way, shape, and form. One of the first things they tell you is if you fall down, get up, right? Get up right away. Tell a brother, get up fall down you get up don't wallow in it to the believer it all begins and ends with the Holy Spirit of God he reveals he convicts he transforms he comforts he is the anointing by which we allow the word of God to be revealed to others through our lives that's why we should crave the anointing it allows the word to come alive in ways that others can see it you can't describe it. Try describing the anointing to somebody who doesn't know what what God is all about. Try that. You can't do it. But he can reveal himself through it. Wow. How many of would say, Pastor, I want that anointing in my life. As we close in prayer today, I want God to be revealed in and through me and my actions, my character, everything I do. Just let me see your hand. That's all I'm asking. I want to pray for you in closing. You don't need to leave your seat anywhere. I'm just waiting another second for anybody else. All right. Father, we thank you this morning that we have this opportunity to allow your anointing to rest on our lives. And you want it to rest on our lives. So help us to push off the wisdom of man and to receive the anointing that can only come from you. And that when we're in situations and places of need, that God, that anointing would shine and rise up inside each and every one of us and be revealed. That Lord, it would be revealed in such a way that others would know That it is not something that could come from man. That we would be like Paul. That we don't want to be known for anything that could come from ourselves, but that it would come from you. Lord, we thank you for this morning, for our worship time, for hearing testimonies of you using our young people, for Teen Challenge being with us today. Bless them as they leave and travel and continue to minister in churches. And Lord, anoint us as we continue to plan. Help us to just find your will in all the things that we do. We ask this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, well, God bless you and be safe out there.